Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles, and this episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, Headspace, and Masterclass. You'll hear about those in a moment. Joining me this week, my friend across the pond, William Gallagher. How are you? Hello. Actually, I am hot. That's what I am. Hot. I am smoking hot, just not in a way one would want at the moment. How are you? I, I Good. I assume you mean uh, your attractiveness rating. because yeah, Clearly. I mean, clearly. Least... Nobody can see me, right? It's all that climbing you've been doing. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that other voice you hear, the dulcet tones of Neil Hughes. What's going on, Neil? Hey, guys. How's it going? And before we jump into the show, I want to let you know, listener, that if you start supporting the Apple Insider podcast, you get an ad-free version and early access. You can do that on patreon.com slash Apple Insider or right here in Apple Podcasts. And we actually just added a new benefit to those who support the show. Whether you've been supporting or if you sign up now, you actually get access to the Apple Insider private Discord. So we have an Apple Insider server that's we have public channels and everybody's chatting, but we're actually going to have a private channel just for podcast supporters. And so if you'd like in on that channel, I'm going to be in there personally talking to whoever comes in and joins us. You can join that Discord by supporting the show. If you do it on Patreon, you can actually connect your Discord account and get direct access to that private channel. You don't have to do any kind of invite or whatever. But if you support the show on Apple Podcasts, one of the things is I can't contact you guys individually or send a message to all the supporters on Apple Podcasts. So I actually have to give you guys some special instructions. And we figured the best way to do that would actually be in a bonus episode that you can only listen to if you support the show on Apple Podcasts. So if you're a supporter or you become a supporter of the Apple Insider Show, look for that bonus episode. I'll title it, How to Join Our Discord, and listen to that, and I'll give you instructions on what to do there. All right, we got some news this week. Well, later, I want to talk about our Apple Care Plus repair experiences because I've recently gone through that with an Apple Watch SE. My son broke his that I teased last week, so we'll talk about that in a minute. But some real stuff that actually came out this week, iOS 14.7 came out, the updates to the iPhone, the Apple TV, and then a couple days delayed came to iPadOS and macOS as well. Not huge changes here in 14.7. You have the normal security and bug fix updates, but two very exciting features. I don't know if you guys are excited as I am. Probably don't even know what I'm alluding to, but the ability to manage timers on HomePods manually from the Home app, it's got to be the standout feature. What do you guys think? I actually did not even know that. You see, I'm on <laughs> macOS Monterey, you see, and I, I have a phone now on iOS 50. Oh, so you're living in the future. Yeah, so this this passe stuff. But I genuinely missed that. That's brilliant. I'm going to be using that the moment I'm cooking after we finish speaking. I'll be using that now. Great. Excellent. Well, there you go. I mean, I jokingly said a big feature, but I actually really appreciate it because I have multiple children, and when they play video games, we do put time restrictions on it and we ask them to set their own timers. And so we will frequently have two children yelling at the home pods to set timers <laughs> and they will set multiple just by the nature of not knowing if Siri heard them or not. And so the actual ability to manage multiple timers and actually see the timers running in the home app, actually I find it pretty useful. So I'm I'm glad this feature exists. Yeah. Neil, did you know that this was actually a thing that happened? You know, I, I didn't, and that's great because I do use the timer <laughs> feature a lot on my home pod. So uh, yeah. and then a lot of times like my wife will be cooking and it'll be like, Siri, how much time is left on the timer? So now you can just check it. Exactly. And you know, if you 
can't use your hands, you know, you got chicken on your hands or whatever, you know, it's nice to be able to yell out to your HomePod, but to be able to just start a timer and not have to worry about whether Siri's going to hear you right, mm. you can just go to the Home app, click a HomePod, hit new timer, set it. You can even label the timer or something specifically. It's actually pretty useful. So we had that. Set it and forget it. Set it and forget it. That's right. So you can do that. Also, Apple Card Family Sharing is now available in 14.7 which allows you as a user, if you have an Apple card, the credit card, you know, and you want to share it with other members in your iCloud family, you can do that or combine cards if you and a partner had already applied separately for them. So you have family sharing. And then supposedly the podcast app got updated. I tried my hardest to actually find anything different in the new one and, and I think failed to do that. So supposedly it's updated. I don't know if listeners, if you see anything different, let me know. Links have started working again-ish. But that's apart from the 14.7 update. So do either of you, let me ask this, do either of you have the Apple credit card, Apple card? I do, yeah. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry, William. In the UK, yeah, thanks. So yeah, (laughs) yeah. I always forget. Family sharing, terrific. Yeah, so sorry, just kidding. May have missed this, but have they announced whether or not it's ever going to come or some timeline about that? Right at the launch, they said it would be coming to more countries. They didn't even say soon, they just said it would be coming. Uh, But how long is that now? And not not a pixel of a whisper of it since. Well, I'm sorry. And I really want one. Yeah, I mean, I do my Apple purchases on it because you do get the 3% cash back. And as credit cards go, you know, one of the things, if I'm going to buy something on a credit card, I like to pay it off soon after. Mm. And I find that I'm able to pay the Apple card off faster from the transaction other than other credit cards. I don't know if you've noticed that, Neil, but Neil, have you have any desire to use this family sharing with the Apple card? No, my wife has her own Apple card, so we just have separate accounts for it. But uh, we use ours all the time because you get 2% cash back on all Apple Pay uh, uh, tap to pay purchases. So I live in New York and pretty much every place takes tap to pay. And so my normal swiping credit card is a uh, it's a no fee 1.5 percent cashback. So I get more money back with my Apple card than I do with my best credit card, you know, without an annual fee. And uh, I also get the money back every day as opposed to having to wait till the end of the month. So I, I find that it's it's the uh, it's my favorite credit card, actually. Yeah, sounds terrible. Really, really bad. <laughs> actually, <laughs> I'm so sorry. In, in all seriousness, in the UK, everywhere takes uh, contactless and Apple Pay. As soon as Apple Pay came out, it was instantly adopted everywhere because we already had um, contactless readers. We had all of the gear in place. So unlike the States, it wasn't quite as much of a slow rollout. It was just instantly on. And it's fantastic. I use Apple Pay all the time. So give me an Apple card. I know. And actually, Neil, you were recently down here in Florida, but I think since the pandemic, actually, more and more places have actually forced the contact list, like have adopted it so they can say, yeah, definitely. you know, use contact list. Like famously Publix, which is the big supermarket down here and everybody loves public subs and all that stuff. They had their own like QR code payment system, which is, it works, but it's inelegant. But they adopted Apple Pay in the middle of the pandemic. And for some reason, I forgot that you actually get 2% cash back when you use Apple Pay. And I use Apple Pay actually in all my regular places. I mean, Target, Publix, even the health food store I go to sometimes accepts contactless now. So I'm going to actually switch to the Apple Card deal. Well, the the irony of it is the physical card is is the worst part of it. Like, yeah, you get this titanium yeah. fancy card, but it's like if you ever swipe it, you only get 1% back. And it's like, as far as credit cards go, that's not very good. And I don't want to mess around with like annual fees and doing the math and saying, okay, if I spend $500, I'll get this much back. Like, right. I don't have the time to go back and forth and figure out. And so it's just, it's really easy. No fee that you pay annually and you get 2% cash back. That's pretty good. That is really good. I think I'm going to start using it at the grocery store, actually. So why 
are you not considering like supposedly when you do apple card family sharing you can combine credit limits and so i have not done this but i assume like whatever your limit and your wife's limit is it will become the voltron of apple card limits like i guess it it you know adds them together (laughs) and supposedly you build credit together you see the balance together and i guess you can pay both off at the same time do you just prefer to keep them separate or do those benefits just not really speak? Yeah, you know, I don't want to get into the landmines of uh, of uh, oh, I mar- marital bliss, but I will just say that uh, uh, I just, you know, we have our finances separate. We always have, and it's just easier that way. I don't really care what she spends her money on, and I'm not really interested in getting involved in that. So yeah. she manages her money. She works. I manage my money. I work, and that's just the way that we prefer it. And I understand a lot of couples, you know, it makes more sense for them to share, have shared finances, but for us, it's just easier. I just want to manage my own. I'm very meticulous i have a mint account which it pains me that apple card does not work with mint but i go through and i categorize all my purchases uh and so i can track my spending and see what i'm doing uh so i have to use a combination of the wallet app and mint in order to keep track of my spending but i find that's the easiest way to do it and and so i wouldn't want to be going through and categorizing her purchases and trying to figure out was was this amazon purchase you know electronic or was it clothing or whatever i just don't want to go into that yeah 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 well, I do not plan on doing Actually, my wife did not get an Apple card. We have had an Amazon Prime card for a while. And because we order so much on Amazon, it's just the points or whatever has worked out. And she doesn't really go out very much to do stuff. So I don't know. We're not going to do it either. So I'm curious, listeners, if there's anyone out there who's going to use the Apple card family sharing features, tweet at me. I'm curious to know your experience and how it all worked and everything. And if you have noticed anything different in the Apple Podcast app, I'd love to know because I, I really don't. I don't see anything different. Did either of you order the MagSafe battery pack? I did. I just got it yesterday. Oh, William, how about you? Uh, no, it doesn't appeal to me. Uh, actually, it just seems very bulky. And I, I'm not convinced how many times it will recharge the phone. And I have other battery packs that will zap it up to full. So no, for once, I didn't even look at that. Okay. I was really hoping mine would deliver as we record. And I'm, I'm tracking the FedEx uh, <laughs> <laughs> delivery. It is on the truck nearby, but I don't think it's going to come in time. I ordered it. I had the Anchor one, which the Anchor one is not really MagSafe. It just charges at the five watts. It's pretty bulky it's usb-c which is fine i have usb-c everywhere but i don't know it just was not it was pretty bulky and i was like okay i want to try this i do find that i have to charge my iphone midday my iphone 12 pro like many days it would not last the full day depending on what i'm doing and work-wise or whatever so the battery pack did appeal to me i don't use the anchor one i'll usually just charge my phone just with a cable or put it on my Belkin 3-in-1 MagSafe to charge it midday. So this battery pack was appealing because if I could just slap it on and use it and, like, and just keep using my phone like normal, I, I think I would like it. So anyway, mine arrives today as we record. Neil, how's been your experience with it? So I just used it yesterday for a little bit. I, mean, I just reviewed the Mophie quote-unquote MagSafe battery pack for Apple Insider a few weeks ago. Had my share of problems with it, including the fact that it's not actually uh, MagSafe. It just uses magnets and uses, you know, Qi charging on there and then calls itself MagSafe. So the fact that this is an actual MagSafe Apple product was appealing to me. Yeah. I will say for the price and for what you get, it's not great. It even, like the first thing I saw when I attached it to my phone is a little notification that says, hi, this will charge your phone to as much as 92%. And it's like, oh, that's kind of disappointing. Thank you. It's also a step back from, because I previously used the, uh, with my iPhone 11 Pro, I used the uh, Apple smart battery case. 
which is a protective case, right? And uh, also had a camera shutter button. And also, one appealing aspect of that is the battery pack would also charge wirelessly. And I use mostly wireless charging. I actually don't use Lightning very often. Right. So this battery pack does not recharge wirelessly. It does not have the camera shutter button. So the only appeal to it, and it, and it has a smaller capacity to recharge your phone. So the only appeal to it is that you can slap it on the back. And I suppose it will work with future iPhones even if they change the form factor because it can be slapped on the back. Or I guess if you own two iPhones, like a mini and, and a pro or something like that, you could use it with both of them. But I think it's $30 cheaper than the last one. It's 100 bucks. The last one was 130 But there are a number of steps back that you're probably better off getting a cheaper option because this Mophie one that I have in front of me actually recharges the iPhone at 7.5 watts, not the 5 watts that the Apple one does. So not only does it have more capacity and charge quicker, it's $50 cheaper. Yes. One of the details that I didn't realize when it was announced was, yes, it is a MagSafe battery pack from Apple, but when you put it on the back of your phone, it is 5 watt charging like every other Qi charging, even though it is the MagSafe battery pack. It is if you have it attached to the back of your phone and you plug it in because people are kind of pitching this as it could also just be like your MagSafe wireless charger next to your bed because you can leave the battery pack plugged into a lightning cable and put your phone down on it. That's when you get the 15 watts of charging if the battery is plugged into lightning. And I don't know. I feel like when it was first announced, that was not made clear. And for that reason, I feel like, man, I, I would hope at least, like you're saying, seven and a half watt charging. But but no, it's five watt when it's just connected to it. And from what the testing that we've done and I've seen on others, like I talked to Andrew about it, it seems like it'll bring like an iPhone 12 Pro Max from 1% to like 50 something percent, which is on a Pro Max, a good amount of battery, but it is definitely not a full charge on pretty much any device. I think even the 12 mini, it'll get it up to like 80 to 90% if you're at zero. So it's okay. Like it's an elegant solution, but maybe not the best solution. And, and the irony of it is, you know, having reviewed these Mophie products, right, they work with Android devices because Mophie came up with its own magnetic ring that you can stick to any other phone, right? And those devices, the Android devices, will charge at a full 15 watts. So it's the Apple ones that charge slower, even though they have MagSafe. I actually, I was very interested in what you said, Neil, there about the price difference between this version and the other one, that it is less. Um, I found an alternative which does save my iPhone battery and makes it last much longer, uh, but it's slightly more expensive. I bought an iPad Pro. So, you know, kind of excessively the other way, but now my phone lasts me longer. There's a tip mm -hmm. for you. Wait, so do you actually charge your iPhone from your iPad Pro? No, I just use the iPad Pro more. That's all. So the oh. phone's sitting there going, oh, this is nice. Because <laughs> uh, I wonder, I remember Apple pitched that, I guess it was with oh, last year's did. iPad Pro model or whatever. Yes. Yeah, I can recharge it. Yeah. You can connect a USB-C cable from the iPad, lightning on the other end to an iPhone, and it'll actually charge the iPhone using the juice from the iPad Pro. So you can't actually do that. I'm having a great time today. Thank you. That's two things. <laughs> I, I, I knew that one and I'd totally forgotten it because I didn't have an iPad Pro at the time. Um, and that, oh, thank you very much. Excellent. Yes, you're, you're very welcome. So, Neil, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things about the Mophie and the Anchor one that I have, it's nice. It has like the four little dots to let you know how charged the battery is. 
you know, just looking at that. Thinness-wise, is the Mophie and the Apple battery pack pretty similar? I'm holding them in front of me. The They are pretty similar. I think the Mophie, it has more of a sloped edge, so it looks thinner at the edge, but when I'm looking at them side by side, it looks like they're about the same thickness. Okay. But the Mophie one is taller, so if you use it, if you have an iPhone 12 mini, they actually say in the documentation that it covers up one of the part of one of the cameras. Oh, wow. And I have actually, in my testing of the Mophie one, uh, because the batteries, again, it's not MagSafe, so the alignment is not quite as, as great as you're going to get with an actual MagSafe thing. It, like the, the stabilization magnet or whatever they call it, the orientation magnet, yeah. is very weak. Like you can just knock it right off. So I've I've noticed that I can nudge it so that it's inter interfering with one of the lenses on my iPhone 12 Pro. So it, it is a bigger battery. It's it's definitely not perfect. I, I think I gave it a three and a half out of, uh, out of five. So yeah, it definitely has its problems. But for 50 bucks, you know, it's hard to go wrong. But I will say uh, uh, two things about the, the Apple battery pack uh, that excite me. One is this is the most expensive uh, MagSafe charging dock that I've ever bought because I have a 30 watt dedicated lightning charger at my desk for quick charging my phone and I can put this lightning connector on the battery on my dock and then it turns it into a MagSafe dock and I could just throw my phone on there to charge it. Which again, the world's most expensive uh, MagSafe charging dock, but now I have one on my desk. Uh, <laughs> and then the other thing that's exciting about this that uh, not a lot of people have picked up on, but I think uh, could uh, signal that, that things are coming in the future is this this battery pack works both ways. So this is the first time ever since we were talking about an iPad being able to charge a phone, right? This is the first time ever that a, Apple doesn't uh, doesn't allow companies to tap into the battery of a phone because they want it to you know last. This is the first time ever that you have reverse charging. So if you plug in your iPhone and the battery pack is connected, this will recharge the battery pack. So this sets the stage for a future set of AirPods to be recharged by the phone right. or to have a situation where you plug in your phone and charge your AirPods at the same time. That was rumored a few years ago to have that, you know, dual directional charging wireless on uh, on the iPhone and it didn't make the cut. Uh, but now it's apparently there and this is the first time they've used it. So I'm excited to see it be implemented in other products. It is cool. And if you didn't know too, if you have the MagSafe battery pack and you put a pair of AirPods that are wireless charging capable on the MagSafe battery pack, it will actually start charging the AirPods too. So if you have one of these in your bag, you can slap it on the back of your phone, charge your phone, or you can set your AirPods on it and it will charge those as well. So, And if you get the uh, magnetic ring from Mophie, it actually allows you to use this battery pack with the iPhone 11 Pro. I tested it on right. my phone. Yes, and Andrew has a video actually demonstrating that. So that's pretty cool. But future of charging is cool. I, f I feel like, yes, we are approaching portless iPhone territory maybe one day. But I don't know. I'm still not ready to let go of a port entirely. <laughs> How are you going to get your lossless music? Ah, I guess you play it from your old HomePod that's discontinued. You got to do it that way. Here's what I think is going to happen. I think MagSafe needs to add a data connection. Right. And then you can add a, a 3.5 millimeter headphone jack or a lightning cable. So you can kind of see that here where if you had a future portless iPhone, you throw this battery pack on there. Now you have a port on the phone, right? Yeah. So that's my hope is that like MagSafe too adds data and then this all becomes a moot point. Right. That would be cool. So listeners, I'll put links in show notes to Andrew's videos about the MagSafe battery pack. I might have a couple more thoughts after I use it for a week. Again, it should be. It's on its way. I'm following the FedEx truck as we speak. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. Today, many small business owners are busier than ever because they're focused on managing and growing their business as they should be. They can't always spend the time they wish they could on recruiting. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to find and hire the best candidates for free. I've actually personally used LinkedIn to find qualified candidates for roles that 
When I've looked elsewhere using other websites and posting jobs, a lot of times you just get a ton of resumes and people that may not be qualified. But when I look at the kind of candidates that LinkedIn Jobs brings in, that's actually where I found some of the best and most promising recruits for any job that I've hired for in the past. You can get started by posting your job for free to reach LinkedIn's network of 740 million professionals. You can fill out targeted screening questions to get your role in front of the most qualified candidates with the experience, skills, and motivation you need. Then it's easy to filter and prioritize the top candidates you'd like to interview. LinkedIn Jobs will help you hire the right person for your role. Did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your first job for free at linkedin.com slash appleinsider. That's LinkedIn dot com slash Apple Insider to post your first job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Our thanks to LinkedIn for sponsoring this episode. So winners of the iPhone Photography Awards were announced this past week, and I'm going to put the link in show notes. I encourage you, listener, to check out. I'm always amazed at the photos that are taken by these photographers. Some of the macro stuff, especially like there's a picture of a lizard that's incredible. And some the winners and stuff, I don't know. I'm just always blown away at what the iPhone can do. If you also want to find out really what the iPhone is capable of, you know, follow Sebastian DeWitt on Twitter. He's at SDW. He does a bunch of iPhone photography and it is amazing. Sometimes I wonder why all my pictures don't look like that, <laughs> but understandably these are professional photographers. So pretty cool. All right, so rumors about the iPhone 13 this past week, nothing too new, but saying that it could have an always-on display on the next model iPhone. If you've seen some Android phones, yes, this is something they've had for a while. I remember I've had friends and I've seen it, you know, it can display the clock and a couple like notification icons to let you know what notifications are awaiting you when you unlock your phone. And because it's an OLED, it doesn't zap a whole lot of battery. And usually it's just like a very simplified, like just white text on the, black screen. I don't know. I always felt like I have an always on watch. I can tap my phone screen to turn it on. I don't know if I would use this or care for it that much, but I don't know, do either of you guys are excited about an always on screen? Yes, actually. I'm surprised to say yes, because uh, what, well, what really surprises me is the number of times I tap my iPhone to bring up the clock and say, I'm wearing a watch, but I find it somehow easier to just tap the phone because it's next to me and things. So an always on one, yeah, although I don't have an always-on watch, so if I did, then that would change. Yeah, uh, uh, so now I'm confusing myself, clearly. Uh, <laughs> I'll buy both, just to be sure. I will say, I, well, I was on a little bit of vacation last week. Because we were outside a lot and I didn't charge my watch as regularly, I turned off the always-on feature of the Apple Watch to save some battery, and it was a noticeable difference. Oh. I guess I didn't realize how often I just glanced down at my wrist to see the time, whether I'm at my desk or, I don't know, just doing whatever. And just going back to having to raise your wrist, again, it just sounds like a silly issue, but it is very convenient to just have the always on display. So William, I recommend always on watch one day. I'm very intrigued by how, how noticeable the battery, I mean, I took it for granted there'd be some battery drop, but um, were, were you really measuring it? Could you say how noticeable the difference was? I mean, I was doing it at like, the watch was at 30% and we were on the beach and I was like, well, let me just turn off always on. And I didn't, I wasn't too tuned into it because I was, you know, trying to do vacation-y things, but the watch never died. 
So I feel like maybe I save some battery, but not sure. I'm not sure. Sometimes if I really want to save battery, I'll turn off even the raise to wake and I'll make it so you have to tap on it in order to turn on the screen. That's like, yeah, if you really want to go hardcore on the battery. Neil, do you care for an always on iPhone screen? Yeah, I love the always on display on my watch uh, and I would like to have it on the phone. I'd like to have it on the iPad too. I mean, we have a ProMotion display on there. Why, you know, that's true. especially with the new micro LED display, why not? Yeah, yeah, that's true. It looks like AirPods 3 will be going into production in August. So less than a month away, we might see some announcements for AirPods 3. Most likely, I feel like it's probably going to come like if there's a September event, phone, watch event, we'll finally see AirPods 3 then. But we could see a press release type thing like we did with the MagSafe battery pack. I don't know, William, when do you think we're going to see AirPods 3? Uh, we're never going to see AirPods 3. They're never. always delayed. We're, they're just, Apple's just going to go straight <laughs> to AirPods 4. That something's going wrong with the 3. I... <laughs> it's been a while. It's been rumored for a very long time, but... I mean, I, this is actually the first AirPods I'm not interested in. I've owned each of the ones that have come out before, but I, I'm not particularly tempted with these because I have AirPods Pro. Yeah. You know when they come out, Apple will say something really convincing and I'll change my mind. But at the moment, I just think... Yeah, I'm very happy with mine. Thank you. Okay, very good. I like my AirPods Pro a lot. I, I think what, what I would like more is a new PowerBeats Pro that gets some of the audio pass-through capabilities. Because I exercise with mine, and it's very nice when you're out on the street to be able to get you know street noise coming in while you're wearing your headphones. And there's just so many problems with the PowerBeats Pro. The fact they charge so much money for them is insane. And the case is terrible. It, it's lacking features of, of the newer uh, models of, of AirPods and that sort of stuff. Uh, I think there's a lot of room for improvement there but since it's beats who knows I'm, I'm not holding my breath it seems like they kind of go to the beat of their own drum there no pun intended oh my goodness wow very punny thank you neil <laughs> i appreciate that that was accidental i promise <laughs> all right very good all right so the olympics are coming up and people like to know how do you watch the olympics and so maybe this will turn into a streaming service conversation in a moment but at least if you're in the U.S., you know, this is different all around the world. So you have to check your local cable providers, streaming providers and all that. But here in the U.S., NBC has a lock on Olympics coverage. They've had a lock on it like forever. I don't know what the deal is as far as like contractually, if NBC has Olympics rights forever, I'm not exactly sure. But they have it this year for the Summer Olympics. And if you want to stream the Olympics, not watch it on TV or with a rabbit ears or whatever, like cable, you want to stream it. NBC is really trying to push everyone to its Peacock service. So if you want to watch the Olympics here in America, you're going to have to sign up for Peacock. I think a streaming service that might be struggling a little bit, let's be honest. And Peacock is either $5 a month with ads or $10 a month without ads. And they're also during the Olympics doing a temporary pass. So if you want to watch the Olympics, they'll kind of let you preview 30 minutes. So you can watch 30 minutes of Olympics coverage without signing in. Now, I don't know if you can just refresh the page and watch another 30 minutes or turn on your VPN, change your location and watch another 30 minutes. Not exactly sure how that will work, but you'll be able to watch 30 minutes of it. Now, I don't know about you guys. I, I enjoy watching the Olympics. I think it's it's fun and it's a global event and it's, you know, once every four years, it was delayed last year because of COVID. So usually a big thing, but I think even as much as I enjoy watching it, I don't think even the Olympics will make me sign up for Peacock. I just don't think I'm going to do it. What about you guys? Well, I know, William, this doesn't apply to you as much, but Neil, are you going to sign up for Peacock? I am already a paying Peacock subscriber, believe it or not. $10 what? a month. Yes. It's you. You're yeah, the subscriber. You're the one. 
<laughs> You're the only one. Uh, is this a Friends thing? You just have to watch Friends over and over again? <laughs> no, it's funny. So uh, I, I uh, am a fan of professional wrestling. I subscribed to WWE Network for many years. And Peacock bought the rights to all of the WWE streaming. And so used to back in the day have to pay you know $60 for a pay-per-view. They changed the business model to $10 a month. So for me, I was already paying $10 a month for WWE Network. And then it changed. So now I pay $10 a month and I get everything on Peacock. And I get WWE Network as well. Unfortunately, they've ruined the streaming service for WWE, and it's, you can't like start a live program behind. It, it, there's all kinds of problems. Oh, but God. I have found a lot of shows that I really like on Peacock. So last night, uh, my wife and I just finished watching uh, We Are Lady Parts, and it's hilarious. It's brilliant. It's sweet. We we thought it was a, okay. a really really great show. I also watched Girls Five Eva on there, and that was really funny as well. I like how you pronounce that. <laughs> yeah, that's that is the name. Even amidst congestion, you, did, you nailed it. That is the name of it. Uh, uh, Rutherford Falls is very good too. So I actually am a paying Peacock subscriber, believe it or not. Okay. Yeah. I would say at some point Peacock might come to the UK. It's Peacock and NBC are less well known here, so not like Paramount, which is pretty much certain to come. Um, I might look at because I think their library is good. I just you, you were saying that there's the uh, ad supported version and the subscription no ads version, right? And that's actually not entirely true. The paid one, the ten dollars a month, you may still get ad just on very certain shows, very certain circumstances. What? There's no way to be completely ad free. Right. But on the other hand, there is a completely free, totally ad supported version. Yep. And you only get some content. Yeah. And what I was not, I did a piece for Apple Insider about how to watch uh, Olympics coverage, and I wasn't able to find out whether Peacock uh, was putting any of the Olympic stuff on the uh, totally free one. I it feels like it won't. But it's possible we might be able to see something. I think there's some rights issues, and there's also it's clear that they're not they don't totally have their act together. So uh, I'm a big hockey fan. Uh, my Tampa Bay Lightning just won the Stanley Cup. That's why I was down in Florida. Hooray! Uh, was watching the series very closely. Uh, watched Game One at home, and they said starting with Game Two you can stream it on Peacock. So it was like they couldn't even get their ducks in a row in time for Game One to stream it on Peacock. Right. It was like it was almost like somebody internally was like, oh wow, we should probably stream that, right? That would be a good thing. So I'm not sure if it's rights issues or if they just can't get their stuff together over there. I, I don't know what the deal is, but I know with sports it can be complicated. Uh, if you have streaming services like Hulu or, or whatever, uh, uh, Fox Sports, uh, the regional coverage was sold to Sinclair Broadcasting a few years ago. They don't have agreements in place with any of the streaming services. So if you use YouTube TV, if you use uh, Hulu, anything like that, you can't get Bally Sports, which they've rebranded as. And the same goes here in the New York area, MSG Network and Yes Network for the Yankees. You can't get them on any streaming services. You have to pay for like Spectrum wired cable. Okay, so I'm uh, I'm doing some research live as, as you guys were talking. So I'm on NBCOlympics.com and I clicked the live stream and it immediately said you have to turn off your ad blocker. So yeah. I turned off my ad blocker. It just, <laughs> just showed me a black screen, wouldn't let me do anything else. And as soon as the live stream starts, it has this temporary pass clock ticker counting down as some kind of like doomsday clock. And it says right now I have 28 minutes and 30 seconds left of my temporary pass to watch the Olympic channel. And it seems like you're going to have to do at least one of the paid peacock pricing models. I was trying to do as much alliteration as possible. Uh, I couldn't think of another way to do models. So yeah, I don't think the free one is going to include the Olympics. You're going to have to at least do the $5 one. So hang on. You're on 28 minutes and 22 seconds. Was it Neil or I who was speaking one minute and 38 <laughs> seconds before then? That you just uh, to go? It, 
It was Neil. It was Neil. I mean, I figured, Thanks. listen, let's just do some on-air research. Now, I will say, if I refresh this page, the temporary pass clock, it keeps its countdown. So right now I'm at 27 minutes and 40 seconds. If I open a private window in Safari, I'm sorry, I don't know if this is like, are we teaching people how to pirate things live on the air? I'm not sure. This is, <laughs> this is I'm not using any pirating tools. I'm just, now I will say, listener, if you open up a private Safari window, the temporary pass reset. Oh. So there's that. You probably might've heard a little bit of audio in the background. I don't know. I'm just reporting stuff. I'm not trying to tell anybody how to live their life. It's it's really weird, like all these rights issues that are cropping up with these streaming services. So if you pay for Peacock, they have live channels on there, right? But they're not actual live TV channels. It's just, hey, want to put on a random episode of The Office? Here's a, here's a streaming uh, channel that just shows episodes of The Office. But if you want to watch, say, NBC, you can't do that. Or if you want to watch MSNBC, you know, at networks that they own... Uh, USA Network, you can't watch those. You can only watch just random things that they cut together and called it a channel. It's like, just put the channels on there, but it's rights issues. Hold on, I'm going to get my soapbox. (laughs) Okay, here's, get my soapbox. This episode is brought to you by Headspace. So you've probably tried meditation before, or you heard about mindfulness, and maybe it didn't work. Maybe you felt like you were doing something wrong. Well, if mental health and finding peace is part of your self-care plan this year, you owe it to yourself to try Headspace. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations and an extremely beautifully designed app. Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. Do you feel overwhelmed? Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. Maybe you need help falling asleep. Headspace has wind-down sessions their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has mindfulness activities you can do with your kids. I've actually done those with my kids personally. There's ones on focus and attention, and they're really fun to do with your kids. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. I was actually using Headspace recently and I saw a new little lesson plan pop up on that homepage and it said, get comfortable with change. And I love these little lessons because they're, again, beautifully designed. I love the topography and there's a narration that kind of walks you through how to think about whether it's emotions or events. And this get comfortable with change, it really helped me out. It helps you frame how our emotions and our feelings, we experience a lot of those throughout the day. And we have to realize that change happens constantly. And we need to be able to deal with all the change that we hear about from news and media and even in our own circles and still keep that sense of peace and mindfulness individually. I loved watching that and all those lessons. And again, I've done many of the courses in the app, things like on anxiety and fear of flying. I highly recommend you try it. Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing, meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule anytime anywhere you deserve to feel happier and headspace is meditation made simple go to headspace.com slash apple insider that's headspace.com slash apple insider for a free one month trial you could try for an entire month totally for free and you get access to headspace's full library of meditations for every situation this is the best deal offered right now. So go to headspace.com slash Apple Insider today. There'll be a link in the show notes as well. I recommend you try it. Our thanks to Headspace for sponsoring this episode. Hold on, let me, I'm gonna get my soapbox. <laughs> okay, here's, get my soapbox. We had a golden age of streaming content 
I think about seven or eight years ago. I feel like seven or eight years ago, there were few streaming services and you could pay something like Sling TV or YouTube TV for 30 bucks a month and you get a bunch of content. Now, today, in the year 2021, any live TV service, YouTube TV, Hulu Live TV, all of it is $65, at least here in the US. Like all the prices super inflated over the last like four or five years because everyone started cutting the cord because it was like, wait a minute, we can pay $30 and get all this content plus Netflix that's still less than I'm paying for cable. Let's do it. And now we have, if you want to do Hulu Live TV, like my in-laws, I actually had them cut the cable like three or four years ago. They started paying Hulu Live TV, I think at $40 a month. And now it's up to like 65. And if you want to add like the ESPN or whatever add on, it's like $70. And I'm like, I don't know if you're saving any money anymore as opposed to like regular cable providers here in the America or paying YouTube Live TV or Hulu Live TV. Plus, because like Neil, like you were saying, all the stratification or fracturing, whatever you want to call it, of content, if you want to watch what you want to watch, you do need Disney Plus and HBO Max and Peacock and Paramount. And you just have to make these decisions of like, well, do I pay for a month of Paramount so I can watch Picard and then cancel it and then pay for a month of Disney Plus so I can watch The Mandalorian? And I feel like people are literally making those decisions of what streaming service am I going to pay for this month to just watch the stuff that I want to watch because I don't want to pay for this year round. Yeah. I don't know. How do, do you, what feelings do you guys have about this streaming stuff? It's it's a disaster. I, I pay for cable because I watch live sports and I watch live news. Right. But if you venture outside of that bubble, the amount of original content that is on like legacy cable channels is embarrassingly low these days. Like I was flipping through a few months ago and uh, I just went by MTV and I was like, I wonder what they show on MTV these days. <laughs> and I went like in the guide like three days into the future, 24-7 they're showing a show called Ridiculousness. That was all they were showing. That was it. That was the only program that they have on the entire network. And and that was all they showed all day. If you flip over to TNT, they have a few originals they'll show in prime time, you know, like one or two nights a week. The rest of the week, it's just like Batman versus Superman, Wonder Woman. They just like <laughs> bought the rights to these movies and they show them yeah. all day. And that's it. And it's like, who wants to pay for TNT? Who wants to pay for for uh, MTV? Who's watching these networks for like the one hour of original programming they have every week? It's, it's embarrassing. And I'll be honest, I have never paid for cable. My entire adult life, I've never paid a cable... TV provider for cable. I've paid them for internet. I've only ever paid for internet, never had a home phone, never paid for cable. And, you know, there came a point like a year or two ago where I was like taking stock. I was like, okay, I pay for Netflix. I pay for Hulu. And this is just like the $10 a month, no live TV. I just, I pay for Netflix. I pay for Hulu. I'm going to add Disney plus eventually, I guess I'll pay for Apple TV plus. Cause I, there are shows that I like on there. They release enough content. And I eventually just had to start like making the decision. And honestly, at least for me, Netflix was actually the one I cut because aside from a couple original shows that I really enjoyed, whenever I would go into Netflix, I was like, meh, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what to watch. Like, I feel like Disney plus uh, can find stuff I want to watch, even if it's just watching the ending of Endgame one more time. Like, there's more things that I care to watch there than than elsewhere. And then HBO Max, again, because of the monopolistic tendencies of carriers, my AT&T plan just comes with HBO Max. So I just get it for free. Uh, which I'm not complaining about. I mean, I guess it's great. But William, how what are you doing over there? Well, how many streaming services do you pay for? Oh, uh, I thought we actually have fewer options here, but I think in some cases we have better ones. Uh, we have BBC and the iPlayer here, which is extraordinary 
great value. And we have uh, ITV, the ITV hub, which is absolutely stunningly great at playing adverts and then <laughs> falls over when you're actually watching the programmes. Um, I was actually, uh, I was working for Radio Times magazine, equivalent of TV Guide, when ITV hub was being tested like 10 years ago more. And that was a joke going around. Every ad, perfect. Every show collapsed and just the last couple of weeks have been some football thing or something here and uh itv hub broke so uh, i don't think sports is treated very well but i don't care sorry uh, so i'm happy with everything else yeah i pay for i do pay for amazon prime and i think amazon prime is probably the one that's going to stick oh right because it has the prime side as well it's like extra right. value i always forget about amazon prime honestly because yes i pay for prime too i just never watch anything on amazon prime <laughs> well picard so. i get mixed up especially between the us and the uk because certain shows are on one service in the states and come to say netflix here instead in an international deal so i lose track over which original which yeah i watch quite a bit on amazon prime hmm. netflix uh, i've been tempted to drop it but there's always been just one show i was following right and we have a thing here called britbox which has uh, there is a u.s version as well which has lots of old british television programs and i kind of love it except occasionally they will edit the shows uh and i'm watching it thinking I wrote a book about that show. I know that scene is missing and there's no reason for it. It's not like they have to squeeze it in to advert times. So I feel betrayed by BritBox, but there's still enough good on there that I keep with it. Basically, I do what you say. Every month when the thing comes around, I'm thinking, am I? Do I? Should I? Will I? And then it's too late. It's happened. I've paid for another month. Stephen, I'm not going to lie. You, you forced me to tally up the number of streaming services I have and it's 11. <laughs> It's very eleven. Depressing. Wow, it's, it's very Neil, depressing once I tell What are you there. doing? <laughs> eleven. And I can't watch all this stuff. It's just you don't want to miss out on anything. Can you rattle them off? Because like I'm, cur- I'm genuinely curious. Yes. Okay. So Hulu Live, Disney Plus, Netflix, Peacock, ESPN Plus, Showtime, HBO Max, Apple TV Plus, Amazon Prime, NHL TV, and MLB TV. I don't even know what some of those are. Just loads of letters. <laughs> I recognize that a lot of there's a lot of sports things. So give and huh. to your defense neil like if you're into sports that is probably the most complicated streaming problem to solve because every sport is its own streaming network and so mlb tv nba nhl like everything is separate right so like that requires if you want to watch multiple sports that immediately requires multiple streaming services even those are consolidating though espn bought the rights to the nhl next season and so you're gonna have to subscribe to espn plus if you want to watch hockey so you're seeing a lot of consolidation here and i think it's inevitable like showtime should not be its own thing i pay 15 bucks a month for it because there's shows on there that i like but they should just merge that with paramount plus which is the parent company there it's like that would make more sense to just move all the showtime content over like hbo did with hbo max but they're not there yet but i I feel like a lot of that consolidation is just inevitable and i think one of the things in the news recently was NFL Sunday Ticket, which has been a DirecTV exclusive for years. And at least here in America, football, meaning American football, is such a huge moneymaker that whoever gets NFL Sunday Ticket, that could be a game changer. And I think I saw that Apple could be in talks to actually bring that to Apple TV Plus, but also Amazon Prime Video, which as we were saying, it has stuff on it. Like you could go watch Knives Out on Amazon Prime. It's included with Prime. Like they have okay stuff. Yeah, they air the Thursday night uh, football games currently. So they would be looking to expand their partnership. Right. And so I feel like Amazon Prime gets 
something big like NFL Sunday Ticket, like I could see that becoming an even greater contender. But it's like, will I? Would they charge members more for that kind of content because their people are already paying for two day shipping and Amazon Prime stuff? I don't know. I want to make one recommendation to our listeners in this world of streaming. If you don't know about this website, JustWatch.com, J-U-S-T-W-A-T-C-H.com. I'll put the link in show notes. JustWatch.com is an amazing website. You can put in a TV show or movie title in the search box, and it will tell you what streaming service is playing that movie, whether it's like included with that streaming service. Like, can you watch it on Netflix? Can you watch it on Amazon Prime? Or is it only a rental? Is it available for rent? Stuff like that. So if you search for, this just came up on the website, like Independence Day, the original with Will Smith, where can I watch it? And the Just Watch website will say you can actually stream it right now with an HBO Max subscription, or you can rent it from a bunch of other places. And it says the price for rent on Apple TV, on Amazon. And if you create an account on Just Watch, like you can customize what streaming services it actually shows you when you search. So it can really just apply to your stuff for the watch now. And it is very useful. And if you are wondering, is this streaming service really worth it? I don't know. Go to this website and see what stuff you like to watch, where it is on the streaming services and make your decisions from there. Last piece of news before I talk about Apple Care Plus experiences, Apple employees are continuing to petition to work from home in a letter that was actually, I think Vox reported on this. They had the letter from an Apple employee. There's Petition saying we should work at least a three days a week from home with the COVID numbers rising again, Delta variant, long-term effects not well understood. Employees are saying, please let us work from home. Meanwhile, Apple executives and Apple, the company, they are trying to push for everyone coming back to the office. It looked like though, they recently announced that Apple is not going to have, they're going to push off some coming back to the office now to the fall. It looks like we won't see in-person events for the fall events, the iPhone and stuff like that, just with all the stuff going on in California, rises in numbers here in America. So the main thing I get from this is whenever Apple introduced Slack to the company culture, where they have about 6,000 employees in the company Slack, I feel like they probably really regret that now because now employees are just passing around. (laughs) Like it seems like their internal Slack is just passing around petitions for working from home and other things. So, I mean, I, I get it. I, I understand why employees don't want to go in, but that's not really Apple's culture. And, you know, right. I think that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a free market. And I think that if Apple's going to require employees to go into work, uh, then they can, you know, choose to try to seek employment elsewhere. Uh, and if, if that becomes a problem for Apple, then it's something they have to address. But I don't see it becoming a problem for Apple. I think plenty of people would like to go to the spaceship campus. So exactly. This episode is brought to you by Masterclass. Guys, you've heard me talk about Masterclass before. It's the best platform where you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can learn cooking from Gordon Ramsay. You can learn about space and science from Neil deGrasse Tyson, negotiation from Chris Voss. And one of my new favorites is you can learn filmmaking from director James Cameron. This is my new favorite course because you can actually watch James Cameron walk through specific scenes of some of his biggest movies ever, like Terminator, Aliens, Titanic. He'll actually walk through the scenes step by step, talking about how they planned it, why they filmed it the way they did, everything behind his process for filmmaking. And it's really inspiring. 
And I still love hearing from people like Neil deGrasse Tyson and astronaut Chris Hatfield about space. If you've not tried Masterclass, you would love these courses. Every course is filmed spectacularly. They look great. They sound great. And you can watch them anywhere. You can watch them on your phone, your iPad, your Apple TV. You can get apps on all those platforms, or you could just watch it in the web browser. One of my favorite ways is starting one on my phone, and I can flip it into audio mode if I get in the car and listen to it like it's a podcast. And the lessons in each course on Masterclass are just about 10 to 15 minutes. So you can do one on a lunch break or binge an entire class. That's really fun too. And when you do classes like a cooking class with Gordon Ramsay, you actually get downloadable content that is basically the quality of a high-end cookbook. And you get those recipes right there through the Masterclass platform. I highly recommend you check out Masterclass. Get unlimited access to every Masterclass, all the ones I mentioned before, and a ton more. And as an Apple Insider listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. So go to masterclass.com slash Apple Insider. That's masterclass.com slash Apple Insider for 15% off Masterclass. Our thanks to Masterclass for sponsoring this episode. One other quick thing, I went on vacation and instead of bringing my Apple TV box because it's cumbersome to disconnect it and all, I actually used, don't call me a trader for this, a Google Chromecast while I was on vacation in my little Airbnb or whatever house, brought a Google Chromecast to stream stuff and uh, it was an okay experience. It's the newer Chromecast that comes with the remote and the remote programmed itself to the TV. So I was able to control the TV and the Chromecast from it. The Wi-Fi was, I wasn't unable to connect the Chromecast to the Wi-Fi because it has one of those like capture pages where you have to enter a code on a website and neither Chromecast nor Apple TV will allow you to do that. So I actually hotspotted for my iPhone 12 Pro, hence the reason why I used 40 gigabytes of data in my last billing period. Uh, If you saw, that was the chapter art last week as I was talking to Wes about it. But the Chromecast experience was fine. Movie, we watched The Amazing Spider-Man because my kids wanted to see it. The movie did like stutter a lot and freeze, but I couldn't tell if that was from cellular or the Chromecast itself. But overall, the Chromecast is totally fine. I'm going to criticize you, Stephen. I'm sorry. Okay, please. You were on holiday. You should have got away from screens. You shouldn't be finding new ways to watch more screens. Are you mad? <laughs> Listen, family movie night after a long day at the beach. That's uh, mm. that's key vacation time right there. And okay. this might be the most controversial thing I say on today's episode. Watching the worst Spider-Man movie of all Spider-Man movies <laughs> with my children is a, it's a national pastime. Sorry, but Andrew Garfield's the worst. Isn't Amazing Spider-Man 2 worse than 1? I think the second one's worse, but... It is hard to tell whether a weird... They're both terrible. They're both terrible. They're both they're both terrible, but seeing a weird lizard man with really bad CG, I don't know, it, it might be worse than Jamie Foxx CG'd blue. I'm not sure. Singing, singing Itsy Bitsy Spider while he <laughs> prances around. They're so bad. They're both so bad. So anyway. It's really terrible. Yeah, yeah, terrible movies. This again is, is why I think Apple needs to offer a cheaper option here yeah you know it's just a 50 dollars streaming stick wouldn't be that difficult to do this is the company that made the ipod shuffle this is a company that sells an ipad for you know 300 bucks yeah i i think that they could make a good product that had you know access to streaming services and didn't do like games and and all that sort of fancy stuff yeah and sell it for 50 bucks it just doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility to me i, I don't know why they haven't done it but it's very strange when i travel i usually just bring my ipad pro and a hdmi adapter uh, USB-C to HDMI. Yeah, I was I was trying to avoid bringing my iPad Pro just because if I leave it in the room, then I'm thinking about it. So I was I was trying to bring just my phone. I did use the MagSafe Duo chargers when traveling. And I will say for however ridiculously expensive those are for a charger, they work pretty well when traveling and they're pretty compact. So for what that's worth. 
but the Chromecast has the HDMI thing like attached to the Chromecast device. Right. So the only other cable you need is a USB-C and a power brick. And it's pretty universal. Like I have a lot of USB-C cables. I'm going to be bringing chargers anyway. So when it just comes to ease of traveling with a streaming device, I guess you could say the Amazon Fire Stick is just as easy, but I actually think I prefer the newer Chromecast interface. So it was, uh, it was all right, I will say. It was all right. Nice. Okay, so I'd like to share a brief anecdote about Apple Watch and Apple Care Plus. So we got my son an Apple Watch SE for Christmas last year. So he's had it for what, like eight, eight months, seven or eight months. And it's worked out very well. We did the family setup. I've talked about it in past episodes. The family setup works fairly well. Through a course of events, the screen shattered. He dropped it while in the bathroom or whatever, fell face down on the tile and just shattered the screen. It actually worked for about three or four days after breaking. I was surprised he didn't cut his finger up, but I don't know. So however the glass breaks, like it doesn't cut your finger. So he used it for a few days, but then it actually finally died. Not sure if it was water or something else. Like there were actually like chunks of glass coming off the watch face, like as he was using it. So I guess eventually just the display finally gave up the ghost. So it, it broke. Now I did pay for Apple Care Plus, And so I knew I'd be able to repair it. Now I've done Apple Care Plus before on an iPhone. And I've usually gone into the store to do it because usually you can just get a replacement swapped right there in person. You can walk out with a new device. But given all the COVID stuff, appointments for support at an Apple store can sometimes be days out. Like it was literally three or four days until the next available appointment at my nearest Apple store. I was like, let me do the online thing. Apple really pushes you to the chat feature to like work out whatever repair thing. And it was like, eh, okay, that's kind of weird, but it works fine. But we got to a point in the process where they were asking what the device was. I sent the serial number. They said express delivery for replacement is available. So with the Apple Care Plus thing, they will send you a replacement in the mail, express delivered. You activate the new thing. You send back the broken one. You mail it back in the same box. And it was $78. So even with Apple Care Plus, $78 for a completely a swapped out Apple Watch SE, which given that it was like totally damaged, not bad pricing wise. But the Apple person on the message was like, you have to turn off Find My on the Apple Watch SE. And this is something you have to do when they, you send back a phone or you're just trading it in. You got to turn off Find My because that's locked with your Apple ID. And, you know, for security reasons, Apple can't disable that themselves. I think come to find out you cannot disable Find My on a family setup Apple Watch without wiping it. Like the only way to actually turn off Find My and remove it from the iCloud Find My account is to erase the device totally. And not knowing how long the shipment was gonna take to arrive with the replacement, I was like, I don't wanna wipe it. And the person on the Apple side support was saying, I have to wipe it because they have to see on their end that the watch is off the Find My network in order for them just to send the replacement. Like they can't even go through with sending the replacement in the mail until the old one is off, like off the Find My totally wiped. So I was like, well, I don't know if I want to do that. So I put that on pause. I investigated other options. This next door appointment was a long way away. So I was like, fine, like I'll try to do this. Again, erasing the Apple Watch is also weird with the family setup because if you've done it, on your iPhone in the Apple Watch app, you can access both your personal Apple Watch and any family setup Apple Watches. It has to be in range of your phone in order to make any account changes. Like it has to be in Bluetooth range because that's how it communicates to the Apple Watch. So the whole process is pretty cumbersome. But not having been able to turn off Find My separately 
I even logged into iCloud.com with my son's iCloud account. I removed the device from the iCloud account, turned off the Find My, like none of that works. You have to wipe it. So I went forth just completely wiping the device and they were finally able to proceed with sending it. It arrived in like two days. So, you know, if I went through with it on Monday, it arrived at the house Wednesday. You do the swapping, you activate the new one. I put the old one back in the box that was broken, shipped it away, all good. They do hold like a $360 charge on your credit card until they receive the broken Apple Watch. Remember, there was like this story a number of months ago where someone neglected to send their MacBook for trade-in. Like they will charge you 300 something dollars if you don't send the old one back. And that charge is on your card from the beginning of the process. So I sent it back. They refunded the rest of that charge. So now it's just the $78. Now, the second part of having a replacement Apple Watch, especially with a family setup, we do the cellular because that's the whole point. Like my son doesn't have an iPhone. We want cellular connectivity. Dealing with the cell plans connected to the Apple Watch is one of the most tedious tasks to do with an Apple device. Because every time you disconnect an Apple Watch, it always asks you this thing of, do you want to disconnect the cellular plan? And it's like this weird terminology of there's removing the plan and then there's like canceling the plan. One just disconnected from the device. Canceling is like canceling the line from your cell carrier account. So it's always very weird. Like it's never really specified what each means. So I disconnected it as I wiped the old one. And as I was setting up the replacement Apple Watch SE, you get to the point in the family setup where it's like set up cellular. And I did, and it had this weird thing of choose the line that this watch needs to be associated with. And then AT&T, is my carrier here in the States, it showed me the phone numbers to choose from because every Apple Watch actually has a phone number associated. Like they do this weird number sync thing. And like if, if someone calls your phone, it goes to your watch and all this, but there's actually a unique phone number attached to the watch itself. And there was only one number to choose from. And so I assumed it was the number associated with my son's Apple Watch. Foolish on my part to not double check. But after going through the whole process, somehow the cell plan attached to my personal Apple Watch, my Series 6, that was the plan. And then just a mess after that. Yeah, because they, they, ha- they have to give it a phone number if it has a line. So <sighs> Yes. And now my Apple Watch cell plan was connected to my son's Apple Watch SE. My watch no longer had a plan, but it didn't fully connect to my son's watch. And basically it took several calls to AT&T later. Somehow I created another add-on device account. So I had three Apple Watches on my AT&T plan where it really only should have been two. Again, several calls, canceling lines, like it is a mess. And honestly, I reached technical support on AT&T and the lady was like, we got it figured out. This watch is this number. This watch is this number, all good to go. And after I hung up with her, we came to find out that my son's Apple Watch didn't actually have cellular connectivity. Every time we left the house, the watch (laughs) wasn't connecting to cellular. And so the way I fixed it was not calling AT&T again. It was going through the Apple Watch app and doing this weird thing of remove the AT&T plan from this watch, remove it from this watch, and then adding the available plans to each Apple Watch. So again, this is not necessarily Apple's problem. Like this is a cell phone carrier issue, but that was just an effort and futility trying to work that out with the carrier. So Apple Care Plus experience was decent. I find it strange that you have to erase and turn off Find My from the Apple Watch before sending it off, which is different from when you do the, the iPhone upgrade plan because the iPhone upgrade plan, they send you the new phone, then you wipe your old one and you mail it back and they send you instructions with the package of the new one. But for some reason with the Apple Watch and the Apple Care Plus plan, 
you have to wipe the Apple Watch before they even send the replacement to you. And so that was the biggest weird thing in that entire process. But for the money, and in this case, it was worth it for us. Replace the Apple Watch SE. The new one works great. And it was 78 bucks to replace. So that is my saga of the Apple Watch SE. Tell me, you guys, what has your experience been with Apple Care Plus? Well, I actually had some of the same issues that you had with the Apple Watch because last year I sent my father my Apple Watch Series 6 for his birthday. And he is 77 years old and doesn't want to have a smartphone, but he needs to have a phone, you know. So uh, he had a flip phone that he was paying like $15 a month for. And I was like, that's a ripoff. Why don't you just get a watch and you can use that as your phone? <laughs> yeah. So I gave him my old watch and I, you know, sent it to him and set it up and all that. And then because I'm based in New York and I'm the account owner, automatically assigned him a New York-based number. And it's like, well, no, he lives in Florida. Like, if he's calling his friends, he can't be calling from a New York number. You know, and the AT&T just didn't get it. And they were and then they were trying to tell me there were no numbers available and they couldn't switch. And I'm like, please, I know that there's numbers available in Florida. Come on. <laughs> so, you know, it took me a while of going back and forth with them on the phone to get it all sorted out. But there are weird quirks like because he has a family uh, set up watch uh, that doesn't have a phone paired to it. He can't use the uh, uh, ECG capability for some reason. I don't yes. know why that wouldn't be allowed. Like you'd think that would be a good feature to have for a 77 year old man to use. But, you know, you can't do sleep tracking either because we tried to set my son up with like sleep tracking stuff like the Apple first party sleep tracking features. And you can't do that with a family set up Apple Watch. I feel like a lot of these issues that you and I experienced with this, especially with the family setup, but just for the watch in general, would be very easily addressed if Apple just made it so that you could manage the watch from any device that you own that, that is an Apple device. Yes. You should be able to manage your watch from your iPad. You should be able to manage your watch from your Mac, especially now that they're all running the same chip and stuff. I, I don't really understand why that is solely tied to the iPhone, especially with the family setup now. There should just be a watch app available for everything, and if you don't have a watch, you can delete it. But if you want to manage your watch from your Mac, why not? William, what has been your experience with Apple Care Plus? Well, I don't think I've ever actually bought it. I just, uh, I had a bad experience with the what that kind of put me off Apple's service thing. I had this thing where it was out of warranty, but the problem was, you know, this uh, turn your wrist to look at the time. Well, I turned my wrist, looked at the time, turned my wrist back and the entire front of the watch kept moving. It just all zoomed off for it. So clearly not an accidental fault, no damage. I have no scratches, no marks on this. It was a, a build fault. And Apple here in Birmingham said, well, basically tough, you know, uh, nothing you could do. And I remember the engineer, the I said, when I said, you know, uh, goodbye at the end, he said, yeah, yeah, no problem. And I said, well, actually, there's some problem, isn't there? <laughs> and I then went on to Apple online and they sent me a replacement huh. for it. So the service, the problem, it was clearly already known as a returnable thing, but one store wouldn't do it. So... But that actually damaged my opinion of Apple's serviceability. So I've kind of hesitated about giving them some money. And when I worked at all the maths on everything, I'm pretty sure I'm okay, given how careful I am. I have few damaged issues I've ever had. I think I'm okay. You're making me, I'm actually wringing my hands at the moment as we speak here. But I thought I was <laughs> sure I was right for me. I usually lean on getting Apple Care Plus on devices that move a lot. Or, you know, there's a high risk of falling. So like my iPhone, I get Apple Care Plus. I'm on the iPhone upgrade program, which includes Apple Care Plus. Mm. So that's kind of built into that. I get it on my Apple Watches because you move your arm around a lot. I hear myself ding it on things here and there. So I'm like, well, let me get the Apple Care Plus for that. 
And I do get it from my iPad because there are times where I'm holding just the iPad naked, not in the magic keyboard, not in a case. And I don't know, I've never dropped an iPad, but I could see myself never not dropping an iPad. So I get it on the, the iPads. Mac is the one thing where I, it depends. Maybe I get it, maybe I don't. If it's a desktop, I 90 something percent of the time would not get Apple Care Plus just because if it's sitting on a desk. With, and if there's anything that happens that's wrong with it, hardware-wise, that is not a result of damage, the one-year warranty typically covers those things. But Neil, what's your policy for what you get Apple Care Plus on? I only have Apple Care Plus on my phone, and that's because I have the upgrade plan. But prior to getting the upgrade plan uh, with the monthly installments, I never even got Apple Care on that. Um, I just don't use it. I am a little salty about Apple Care too because I have two original HomePods, and one of them has a well-known hardware flaw oh, right. where the microphone pops. And Apple wanted to charge me three hundred seventy dollars to fix it. It's like that's the cost of a new HomePod. <sighs> and they said, well, if you have Apple Care, it would be a hundred bucks. And it's like I'm going to pay for Apple Care for a thing that sits on top of my closet and never gets touched by human hands like really yeah. that's the thing that's gonna get apple care that's what you wanted me to pay for like please yeah. you're right you know getting it on a phone makes sense even on an ipad or a macbook that makes sense and i totally understand it anybody who paid for apple care on a home pod was getting hosed <laughs> and you know then it turns out the thing breaks anyhow and you who, like and then you gotta pay a 100 bucks on top of it after yeah. you paid for the apple like come on that's yeah. that's a scam really and that's a good point i i have never bought apple care for a home pod home pod mini or apple tv i don't I don't know what would be the purpose, like accidental damage on the way to the beach. I'm not sure, but I don't even think you can get uh, Apple Care for an Apple TV. Can you? I, I'm guessing you can't. Oh well, here let's let's do some research right here live on the show. Let's see. I go to riveting radio Apple <laughs> Apple.com, searching for Apple TV, Apple TV 4K, clicking the buy button by 32 gigs, and Apple Care Plus for Apple TV is thirty dollars. Wow. Get up to three three years of additional tech support and accidental damage protection. It's for people who laughed so hard and and soda sprayed out of their nose while they were watching carpool karaoke. Oh, that explains it. Now with the old Siri remote that had that glass surfboard at the top, you know, if it covered that remote. Yeah, my my my, my parents did crack their uh, their old Siri remote. They have like duct tape over the top of it. It doesn't work very well, and it's like, oh geez. Yeah, so if it covered that, maybe. But with the new Siri remote. You don't worry about that anymore. It's solid. Do you remember that the old Siri remote, they used to sell a uh, a lanyard for it that plugged in the lightning port on the bottom because they thought people were going to use it like a Wii. And so you could play games with it and do the tilt control. So they actually sold that. Yes. And I was excited about it because I thought it might work with my iPhone and give me a lanyard for my iPhone. It turned out it didn't fit the iPhone. It was like, really? Why would you do that? It's a lightning port. Right. Exactly. And I actually found, so Alto's Odyssey, The Lost City, recently was released on Apple Arcade. I like the Alto games. Yeah, they're great. Put on the Apple TV 4K, the new one that I have. We have the new Siri remote and saw that it requires either the first gen Siri remote or a controller. Yeah, because the new one doesn't have tilt controls. Which for Alto's adventure, I was like, you just click a button. I don't know why you need tilt controls for it, but whatever the requirements are, you can't play it. You need a controller. So I thought that was strange. Anyway. uh, All right. Last question for the both of you. This is going into listener feedback after... Last week, when Wes railed on me for my, my messy photo library, there was, a, there was a pile on on Twitter, even basic Apple guy, yes, I'm talking to you, calling me to curate my photos. I actually started 
this past week, I was like, let me start deleting all these random photos of HomePods and iPhones because of all the chapter art that I do with the podcast. And I deleted like two months worth of it and I just quit because there's just so much to go through. But to the both of you, do you have a bunch of random images and memes in your camera roll on your photo library? Or do you curate your library like Wes and Basic Apple Guy to be squeaky clean? Which of us will go first to admit <laughs> the truth? William, you spoke first. What did you do? Go! Uh, no, I don't. My uh, On my iPhone, the photo library is a ridiculous mess of screenshots and things. On my Mac photos, from when I, when I worked on a BBC magazine, I, ha I had to do jobs with cover images. So there are like 50 years of Radio Times cover images in my photo library. And at some point, when I was using Aperture and I was moving over, I made a mistake and I moved over from Photos to Aperture, I think at least twice. So it just, I have 30 odd thousand uh, photos in there and pretty certain 15,000 of them are rubbish, but I've never gone through to properly fix it. And I've stopped looking at me like that. Yeah, right, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. Neil, what about you? So. I, it's funny, I used to prune my uh, Photos app very tightly, so there was an app, I'm too old to have ever been on Tinder, I've been uh, with my wife for a long time, but there was an app that was a Tinder ripoff called Flick, and it would every month send you a notification, it, I think they delete it from the app store, it doesn't exist anymore, which annoys me, because I would totally still use it. And basically, at the end of the month, it would say, let's review your photos for the last 30 days, and you would go through all your photos, and you swipe right to keep it, and swipe left to delete it. And it was brilliant. And so I pruned all my photos and did it religiously for years. But um, I, I think I said on the podcast a few weeks ago that I'm probably the closest thing to a, a photos power user, if, if such a thing could exist. Uh, and I use the Photos app quite extensively, and I tag everything, um, tag people and all that. So I've found that the Photos app has become so powerful in terms of detecting people and, and the search function and all that, that I don't have to prune my photos because I can always find what I'm looking for. I can search based on location. I can search based on person. I can search based on object or something like that. And so I'm really, really excited for iOS 15 because now I'm going to be able to search for text in the photos as well. Right. And so that's going to make it, that's a game changer for me. I mean, that's going to make it so I can find any photo I'm looking for. So you're saying you have a bunch of random stuff in there too, yeah. but because of your curation, you can find what you're looking for. Yeah, it does, I stopped pruning it because I don't have to anymore because I can find everything and it's not really that big of a deal. I probably should go through and delete a bunch of stuff because I just have random screenshots and other crap that I don't need. And plus, if I go out and take a photo of something, I always take like 12,000 photos and then pick the one good one, you know? Right, exactly. So it's like, you know, if, even if, if somebody else hands me their camera, like, can you get a photo of me? I'll take like 10 photos and hand them back the camera. It's like, you'll get one good one in there, you know? So <laughs> I do a lot of that. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I should go through and just prune it, but I don't really need to. So I think the Photos app has become so powerful that it doesn't matter. Okay. Well, listeners. Let us know. How many of you out there curate your photo library or do you have a bunch of memes in there? Tweet at myself, William or Neil. We'd love to hear from you. Well, you know how I think about it is like music, right? Like back in the day, if you're running out of space on your device, you might delete albums that you don't listen to anymore. But does anybody delete music anymore or remove it from their library? No, no one does. Good point. No. Why would you? Yeah, no, exactly. I'd I'll tell you what, though. So you have talked me into it. But if you have me back on in another couple of weeks, by then, I will have thought of an excuse for why I haven't done my photos. Okay? <laughs> really? <Deal>? Okay. <laughs> oh, yes. Perfect. Yes, I will too. I, I don't know. Maybe I'll do it. We'll see. We'd love to hear from you listeners. You can tweet at myself, Neil, and William. Our Twitter handles are in the show notes. You can also send me an email there. If you haven't yet, we would greatly appreciate a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. And you can even support the show on Apple Podcasts, you can actually do a free trial and then support us there or on patreon.com slash Apple Insider. 
And we just added a new benefit. If you support the show, we have a private Discord channel. It's in the Apple Insider server, but you only get access if you support the show. If you do it on Patreon, you get direct access if you connect your Discord account there. And if you do it on Apple Podcasts, I'm actually gonna have a special episode giving you instructions on how to join that channel in the bonus episode feed. You'll see it as a bonus episode. So it'd be great if you support the show there. And don't forget to check out HomeKit Insider with Andrew O'Hara and myself. That comes out every Monday. And the Apple Insider Daily Podcast, you get the top Apple news headlines in just a few minutes. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.